0: Same old thing. I'm comparing myself again. I'm struggling with envy again. I'm struggling with being offended again. I'm struggling with being anger, a rage monster again. I'm struggling with this again. So you find yourself looking for something that will give you an alternate experience of the reality that you're in. So, what do we turn to? Video games. Some of us turn to food because food gives us a fake experience of reality, doesn't it? Some of you broke that fast, and I mean you broke that fast. And you were like, come on, Jesus. And you went to Applebee's, or you went to Taco Bell, or you went to wherever you went, and you crushed it, and afterwards you felt amazing, and then you woke up and you felt terrible. Or you woke up and guess what? That food that you spent money on, guess what it didn't do? It didn't actually satisfy you. Some of us don't turn to food. Some of us turn to our phones and we get lost in the the devices that we have. And when I say we get lost, you literally have your body releases dopamine just like an actual drug the more you consistently interact with your device. So that when you sit on your bed or you're lying in bed and you open your phone and you get a dopamine hit, your body actually tells you that you feel a little bit better. And yet we know statistically that every person, the more they spend on their device, iPad, TV, iPhone, whatever, the longer we spend on it, the more statistical rise we experience in anxiety and depression. Why? Because it's not really providing you anything it's a false reality some of us turn to the gym some of us turn to working out and we're going to get lost in the workout and that's going to become our new identity how good we look and how many likes we get and how many things i can curl and how fast i am and all the things you know it's true This is what we do. We find something other than Jesus to hitch ourselves to, to experience something that makes us feel better. And Jesus has another way, and Paul reminds us of it. And this is what he says. He starts off by airing all of our dirty laundry. He says, at one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved By all kinds of passions and pleasures. you got to just love. Paul just kind of sprays it around. Passion, pleasure. You're a slave to it all. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Why on earth would Paul... In, an, in a letter trying to encourage a young church to live above sin, why would he start just blasting and kind of clothespinning all the laundry to the laundry lines outside for everybody to see? It's a great list. And by the way, it's not a comprehensive list. He's just kind of opening the door. There's a lot more things he could have written here. See, Paul is reminding the early church, he's reminding people like you and I when we read it of what you and I have actually been saved from. Because it's very easy for us to forget the significance of the gospel in our lives. I know about, uh, about myself I, I, at 39 years of age, thinking back to when I got saved. When I put my faith in Jesus Christ, what has God actually done in my life? How has he truly changed me? It's easy to forget at 13 years of age what happened when I was baptized and what happened when I said, Jesus, you're the Lord of my life. It's easy to forget in college, when, when, in a part of life groups and discipleship groups and a part of great churches, what God has actually done. And so Paul airs all the dirty laundry so that you and I would remember what you have been saved from. Because the reality that you and I live in It's easy to want to look at phones and get stuck in porn or get stuck at the gym or get stuck eating food when reality feels like an unending pile of bills. When reality feels like a defeated scenario in our parenting where we just don't know what to do. We don't know what to say. We don't know how to get through to our child. It's difficult when you're 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 in need of a breakthrough and you haven't experienced it and that's the reality that you face and because you're discouraged and because you're dispo- disappointed you you put your faith in something else or you put your attention and your affection in something else. And why not? After all, you're discouraged. And you need to be reminded in the same way that the church did when they were feeling stuck in their sin, that if God can save you then, how much more can he save you now? When you look back and you are reminded that God changed your heart miraculously, as in he transformed you and he made you new and he turned you into something else, if he can do that then, how can he not do that now? In other words, the miracle of your salvation, the miracle of your, that you need in your situation is nothing compared to the miracle you've already experienced in your salvation. I don't know how I wrote it and how it's on the screen, but something like that. Are you tracking with me? Because it's easy to get stuck. And we think, God, can you honestly do anything here? Or we know mentally He can, but we don't see Him or feel Him actually doing it. And you get stuck getting defeated and discouraged. And you need to be reminded that if God can save you from hell, He can save you from anything. If He can save you, literally, your soul from the wickedness and the rage of sin, how can He not save you in the difficulty of a financial tight spot that you're in. Can he, if he can do that, can he not do that? Because with me this morning, because we get lost in these moments. My God, Andy, you must think sinners are the worst people in the world. You read this list, I've been, I talked about sin last week. I'm going to be talking about it some more and in the weeks to come. But you should know something about Christianity. Christianity is an amazing faith because of all the religions, it teaches that every person, regardless of whether they have responded to the truth of Jesus Christ, everyone is made in the image of God. And because everyone is made in the image of God, everyone deserves dignity And everyone deserves respect. And everyone deserves to be treated the way Christ treated those who also didn't follow Him. But what's also interesting about image bearers of God is that at the very beginning, Adam and Eve were also image bearers. And the glory of God that was to shine through their life... They traded that for their own choices and their own will and their own desires. And the first sin entered the world from the outside in. And that image-bearing presentation of who God is to the world became corrupted. Rebellion set in and it wasn't just that you sinned. It's that your identity now is that you are steeped. In a desire to live your own life and to find identity and security in anything other than Christ. And if you don't believe that that's true, I want you to think back to your own childhood right now. Think of a moment, if you can, where you just blew a gasket as a kid, you hit your brother. You blew a gasket on your sister. You mouthed off to mom or dad. Or in my case, at about nine years old, you thought it would be wise to lift your hand to your mother and crank out the middle finger and just flip her the bird. I have news for you. I met Jesus that day. (laughs) met Jesus in a wonderful, life-changing way. And you should know that no one taught me to do that. I didn't learn this of my own. You know, somehow my dad would just walk around and flip. That wasn't the case. How did I learn to want to defy my parents? How do children, little children, Come out of the womb and in just it feels like minutes want to throw temper tantrums over toys and food and not getting their way. Did you teach them that? No, you didn't. Because there is a thread running through the human race that wants to build our own life and build our own identity on something other than the image and glory of God. And we need a miracle to bring about a new reality. And I have great news for you. That is what makes grace so unbelievably amazing is that this thread of rebellion in our hearts, God changes and he makes us new and he justifies us according to his grace. What a crazy theological word. Theological word. Sometimes you get tongue-tied on a microphone. Theology. If you want to understand what justified means, understand it like this. Justified means it's just if I'd never sinned. Justified means just if I'd never sinned. When Jesus Christ died for you and me and He rose again on the third day, this grace, this abundant grace that was made available to you and I. Not only was it in plenty, but it was, it was made in a, in a manner that justified us. In other words, when you laid hold of it, all of a sudden God sees the righteousness of His Son Jesus. There's something that transforms you from the inside out. And you're no longer defined by your sin, defined by the fall, defined by that which you don't have. You're defined by what he gave you. And that is the righteousness of God. And I'm justified. I come into the throne room of heaven. I can look at God, my heavenly father, and it's just if I'd never sinned. What an unbelievable truth. And what a weight that's lifted off of my shoulders. That I don't have to somehow force or create or build or make my own little kingdom to somehow give to God and somehow try to find worth out of that. Good luck. Even though many times it's still what we try to do. And that's why the church needs to be reminded. When the kindness and love of God, our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done. It's not because of anything you've done. But it's because of his mercy he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior so that having been justified by his grace we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. See, Satan is smart. He wants to distort the reality for you. Even after you've put your faith in Christ, he wants to distort the picture. He wants to get you doubting. He wants you discouraged. He wants you not believing the very precious life-giving promises of God. And so what he does is he takes your problems, which really are no bigger than, than like a penny or a dime or a quarter, and he pushes those things as far as he possibly can up to your eyes so that it's really all you can see. And you wake up in the morning and this is what you're thinking about and you're going to bed at night and this is what you're thinking about and you begin to doubt and you become to get discouraged and you try to find anything that will just make you feel better on the inside. Food, porn, phone, whatever it might be until the grace of God reminds you and pulls that thing out so that you can really see it for what it is oh my god look how small that is compared to the god that i serve compared to the abounding abundant grace that he's bestowed upon me look at this this is nothing compared to the god that i serve this is just the size of a little quarter a little dime a a little penny what can he not do He's justified me, and I can walk boldly into the throne room of heaven and say, Father in heaven, I need your grace. I need your help. I need your power, and because he's my daddy, and he's a good one, he gives it to me, and he gives it to you. He's my daddy. That's right. You've got to hear that. When the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared. You know. The word says that it's the kindness of God that draws us to repentance. And when his kindness showed up, this, Paul is wrapping the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus in these words, kindness and love of God. That's what he means. He's not talking about God just being good and fuzzy to you. He's talking about God sending his son Jesus and that act of kindness was so powerful that it literally changed the thread of the universe. Now think about it for your own self for a minute. When when someone does something kind to you, don't you remember it? I can be really forgetful with a lot of things. I forget people that I've met. I mean, as in like have no memory of shaking this person's hand or meeting or talking, that happens to me. I can forget dates, I can forget birthdays, I can forget a lot of things, but when someone does something meaningful to me, it's hard to forget that, isn't it? Amy and I, one Christmas, the life of a pastor is unique because the holidays are crazy for everybody, but if you were to ever venture into the into the home of a pastor around Christmas. It's like three tornadoes going around because of Christmas projects at the church and helping families in need and toy drives and Christmas Eve services and and communication. And our house looked like a bomb had gone off. And then it's Christmas morning and you open presents and then you literally get in the car the same day and you drive to go spend time with your family. By the time you show up, you are sucking wind. (sighs) But you got there, right? And when we returned home one Christmas, we unlocked the door to our home and we walked in and someone, I won't name any names, maybe two people, maybe three, had snuck into our home and had cleaned our home as in like deep cleaned it. And I've got bags in hand and I walk in, Amy's behind me and I'm like, "Uh, Jesus just showed up. (laughs) Jesus is here the rapture, the resurrection. I don't know, but something miraculous has happened here today. Mm, Right? And I walked in and Amy came in behind me and eclipsed every gift I got her for Christmas. It was better than any present she received. She walked in and she was, I mean, my God, I'm so happy. I am just, who would do this for us? And I'm like, okay, that's in That's enough. Okay? I mean, the house was spotless. And you know what happens when someone does a kindness like that for you? You don't forget it. Now hear me... What happens also when you don't forget it is when someone has a narrative about someone that's different than what you've experienced, and what you've experienced with them is so deep, it's so, it's so truthful, it's so life-changing, and you know the depth of character and the integrity of that person. You're able to look at someone when they bring a narrative contrary to what you've experienced, and you're able to say, mm, that doesn't sound like the person I know. That doesn't sound like my friend. That doesn't sound like my pastor. That doesn't sound like my neighbor. I know them pretty well. And so when the kindness of God has shown up in your life in such a way that it's changed you and it's transformed you and it's made you new and then the enemy tries to come and whisper those lies into your ear that God doesn't love you. He doesn't care for you. Look at you. You're still not healed. He hasn't moved in your life the way you thought he did? Are his promises even true for you? Is his word even real? You can begin to say, you know what, actually something let me, let me tell you something devil I know this God and I have experienced this kindness and the kindness of God that has justified me before a good and holy God and you need to be reminded of something today that the word tells me that I am the head and not the tail the, the word reminds me that when I am feeling alone that I serve a God who gives strength to the weary and he gives strength to those who need it and to those who ask. I serve a God who says that when I need wisdom all I need to do is pray and ask. I serve a God who says he will never leave me or forsake me. I serve a God who says to me that all things are working out to though, for the good of those who believe. That's the God that I serve. You need to be reminded of something, devil, that this is my king, this is my father in heaven, and this is who he is. That's the God that we serve. And that's what a justifying grace does for you, is it allows you to walk boldly into God's throne. And to encounter and experience His kindness afresh and afresh and afresh. Because you have, you're spotless. You are white as snow. Who can bring a charge against you? No one. If God is for you, who can be against you? Stand to your feet. I pray this morning that you would give us a fresh revelation of your grace. A fresh revelation that it's the joy of the Lord that's our strength. A fresh revelation that you renew our strength. God, you put fresh wind in our sail. God, when the Spirit blows and moves through us and in us, and God, we thank you that your grace is amazing. Not only is it abundant, but, Father, it justifies us before you. Lord, give us a fresh
1: revelation today of your grace. Amen. What an encouraging word today for us. Yes, he talked about sin. But I feel my spirit stirred and uplifted and encouraged, right? And every week when we we close, we don't want just a good message. We don't want you just to say, yeah, I feel good about what was spoken. We want you to leave here and be changed. We come together as a community, as a church, um, to be encouraged, to be lifted up, to worship. Um, But it it doesn't stop here. Yes, the church is is not a place, it's not a building, it is the people, it is us. And when we leave here, when we leave church, our gathering together, we become the church in our communities, in our workplaces, and everywhere we go. We are the ones who then carry the message of hope, we carry the message of grace, and we carry the love of God with us into our communities. And so when you go today, go with that in mind, go in peace, go in strength, Go with the message of hope. Go with the message of forgiveness, of love, that you can affect the people around you. Amen? Have a great week. God bless you. See you next week.